The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jesus, we thank you with all of our hearts. And Jesus, you just spoke from your word with such hope and with such encouragement in the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you. And I've just heard this week of a daughter who got to lead her 89-year-old mama to Jesus. And 12 days later, she went to Jesus. Lord, you are the God who hears and answers prayers. So tonight we worship you. And we invite you, Father, to come. Would you come and teach tonight? Would you just let your word be so alive in each of our hearts that we're never, ever the same again? Would you come, dear Jesus, not as our guest, but as the host, so that when we leave tonight, we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been in the presence of a holy God. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. What a precious joy to be back together again. And we thank Jesus with all our heart. And tonight we are looking at chapters seven and eight. And it just gets sweeter and sweeter, Zachariah does. Yesterday was so cute. Deb Tomlin was here and we went out and we were at, we were went to see the beach. It was warm enough to do that because we're at St. Simon's. And I had on my apple t-shirt, my apple sweater. So some man was walking on the beach and he goes, I like your sweater. And I had a chance to say, Oh, I do too. Because guess what? We guess what? I have good news for you. The one that made that beautiful ocean. He goes, Yeah, it is beautiful. I said, is the one who says that you are the apple. Oh, look, I've got it right here. You are the apple of his eye. And he who touches you touches the apple of your eye. And that he's a wall of fire around and the glory within. So that little man didn't know quite what to do. But it was such joy to be able to share about the goodness of God just in an afternoon walk. So that's what we're talking about. God is pro nobis. He is for us. And he's got some more things to say to us tonight. And this is in chapter seven. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. The amazing thing is we've just heard a testimony from Karen that the word of the Lord came personally to Karen Bryant about her family situation and how to lead her to pray and trust on. If God could come to Zachariah and he can come to Karen, he can come to every single one of us on this phone, on this call. And it, he says it over and over six times in these two chapters. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Zechariah. And remember what his name means. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislav, when the, peop the people sent Sherezar and Regamelech, and his men to the house of God. So on a particular day and on a particular time, God came and God spoke. And that's what he does. He comes on a particular day, a particular time, and he comes to personally each one of us and he speaks. And he came. This is 518 BC, December 4th. Oh my goodness. God's been talking for a very long time. <laughs> Isn't that precious? And he came and the people of God had sent two people to and some men to the house of God to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets said, should we continue to weep in the fifth month as fast as we have done for so many years? And um, it's interesting the names of the two people they sent. They have spent 70 years in Babylon. So these two people, Sherazar and Regamelech, have come from Babylon. 
and their parents named them, not the names uh, after the God of Israel, but they gave them Babylonian names. They had lived them there so long, they have begun to identify with the culture around them. One means the, um, uh, protect the king, and the other means the king is glorious. But it's the Babylonian king. It's not God. So And so the priest, they come to the priest with a question they've been sent to inquire of the Lord. Should I continue to weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for 70 years? Now, what happened in the fifth month? The fifth month, 70 years before, had been when, when Jerusalem had been, been destroyed uh, by by um, attacked by Nebuchadnezzar, and the temple had been burned, and the city of Jerusalem had been burned. So for seventy years, on that day, they have fast. In that month, they have fasted, because remembering the burning and destruction of their home city, and then the beginning of of the destruction. So they fasted. It sounds like a good idea to do. But the reality is God hadn't called them to that fast. So, but they had done it anyway. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, again, this is second time he's come to Zechariah. Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourn, and then God adds another month. He said in the fifth month and in the seventh month, did you fast for me? For me, and what happened on the fifth and the seventh month? The seventh month, the delegation didn't bring to the priests' attention, and the people and the Levites and the and the and the temple. It was when Gedaliah had for had been killed. The Nebuchadnezzar had put him in charge of the people. He left in Jerusalem, and he left in Judah. He had put him in charge. He was a fairly good man, and he was kind of the poor people that had left. And and so, but a resurrection came from Jews, that, and they killed Gedaliah, and 80 men were destroyed. And then the wrath of Babylon came down upon them. And in the 10th month, he utterly wiped Jerusalem and Judea off the globe. He just wiped it up. So God, sorry, God includes that month because they had fasted. And he said, did you do it for me? And what this chapter is, is talking about, do we trust in the symbols, some of them of our own creation in our religious life? Or we do we trust in the reality of God himself? And he said, who did you fast for? And a good question for us today is when we fast, when we go to church, when we do different means of grace that are all very good and there's a place in the body of Jesus to do just that, what is the motivation behind that fasting? Could the motivation be, Lord, I am doing this for you because I want to please you, but I want you to perform for me. So if I put in A and I put in B, God, I'm expecting you to come through with C. Mm -hmm. And we want a God who performs for us. We don't want a God that we love with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And we're willing to let him come and fill us like chapter three and four, cleanse us and fill us with his Holy Spirit and then live in obedience. And he picks that up. He said, did you fast for me, for me? When you eat and drink, when, and we eat, and when you drink, do you eat and drink for yourselves or for me? Should you not have obeyed the words of the Lord, which he proclaimed through the former prophets? Should you not have obeyed? Should your fathers not have obeyed? Should you, as this group of people, not obeyed? Should you not obey me? And, and so that, and remember when the prophets came before, 
The cities around Jerusalem were inhabited and prosperous, and the south, even the Negev, and the lowlands were inhabited. But because of your sin and your disobedience, it didn't matter what your religious forms were like, your heart was not. And he, and he said, then, and the word of the Lord came to, to Zechariah. He said, execute you justice. This is what I want. I don't want religious symbols. I don't want religious rituals. I don't even want, I don't, I want the motivation of your heart be because you long to love me and you do not want to grieve my heart. And he said, this is what your true fast is. And you read about it in Isaiah 58, this, because they were fasting during the, uh, they were fasting, but then they weren't paying their, their workers their wages. They were fasting, but they were fighting with their neighbors. They were fasting, but they were pitiful, puny, powerless, and prickly because they weren't right with God. They had all the outward forms right, but not the reality in their hearts. And God said, don't live that way. You miss me. And when you miss me, you miss the glory of walking with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There couldn't be a happier way to live. And when you walk with me, do you know what he does? He comes and he has to make possible that he, we can have true justice in our life. We can, we can do the right thing. That we can show hesed. We can't in our own ways. Remember our box last week? There was no hesed in this box. There's no other oriented calorie love. It's all self-interest. In my, It's not who I am as a person, but it's my self-will when I turn away return to me or turn back when I turn away from God and there's no possibility of me walking with God and grabbing, making right choices and right judgments and showing Hesed the unfailing love of the Lord to others and compassion like God does those are attributes of God and they come in the exchanged life so that everyone, I can even show it to my family members. Because who you really are and who I really am is who I am with Al and all my crew. Because I can, who is the reality of who I am. And God says, I want there to be so there's not a difference in your walk and your talk. I want to make it so that you, there's mercy, other-oriented Calvary love compassion, and justice. So you do the right thing because your heart is right with the Holy One, and that's Jesus. He said it also in verse 10, you don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. You don't plan any evil in your heart against your brother. Once again, it's your brother. And, it's, and Jesus said, it's like the great commandment said, remember when the the, the, the Pharisees came and said, what is the great commandment? And he said, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the leaders, Pharisees said to defend himself, who is my neighbor? And remember the whole beautiful story about this, the Samaritan? And the only one that would go to him was the was the Samaritan, the, the priest passed by and the Levite passed by. They had all the religious form, but they didn't have the reality of the love of God in their hearts. And it only comes in the cleansing and purifying blood of Jesus. And he said, then and then, and these are some of God's favorites. We all are, but he cares for widows, orphans, and he doesn't want any of us to think evil in our hearts to anyone else. God is very kind. But do you know what the people did? Not only the Jews that were sent out captive, but this is what the younger generation is beginning to do. They refused to heed his word. They just turned away. They weren't interested. They said, I'll do it my way. Thank you so much, God. And then it said, it's, he says, they shrug their shoulders. 
They just didn't care. God said something to them and they said, well, and it just shrugged their shoulders. They didn't care. And then they stopped their ears so they couldn't see, they couldn't hear. So God is trying to talk to them and they just don't want to hear. And they refused to heed his They refused to heed. They shrugged their shoulders. They stopped their ears so they couldn't hear. They made their hearts like flint. Every time you and I turn away, every time we don't listen to that still small voice that comes to our heart, every time there's something in our lives and we say, wait a minute, I think I'll do it my way. Or we feel God tugging on our hearts and we shrug our shoulders and go, not quite yet, God, or not quite now. Shrug their shoulders. So they, and God said, and every time we do that, our heart gets harder and harder and harder. There are consequences to our choices. There are consequences to what we decide. God doesn't have any robots. He created us with free will because he loves us. He didn't want robots. He wanted human persons created in the image of God, male and female. And he wanted and he spread out everything that he had for all the goodness of God. So we might see his goodness. And he starts this book with the first vision. I am pro nobis. I am for you. I am for you. And then. They hardened their hearts to the word of God and they hardened to their hearts to the prophets of God who spoke by the Holy Spirit and were sent by the Holy Spirit. There was a hardening of the people of God that God had raised up to be the redemptive agent and the missionary people to go around the globe. And instead, they wouldn't listen. I want to know, are there any places in your life you're not listening? Any places you say, I don't think so, Jesus. It just seems too hard. And do you know what happened to the people? Then it said, just as he proclaimed they would not hear, they called out because he sent them into captivity. And they called out and Jesus said, you don't want me. You want me just to perform for you. There's no godly sorrow that leads to repentance. There's just, I'm in pain. I don't like my circumstances. I don't want to be here. And God, you're not doing a good job getting me out. And God's, I didn't get you there. You made choices. And that's why you're And then, then God sent him into captivity and scattered him as a whirlwind among the nations. They became desolate and the very land of Israel and Judah became desolate because of the sins of the past generation. So God puts this chapter into this precious book to say, you don't have to do what your fathers did I can set you free. You can make another set of choices. I remember. And you've heard, some of you have heard it before, but I feel Jesus wants me to say it again. I remember as a young missionary, and we have some missionaries, precious missionaries on this call, for which we're grateful. I remember as a young missionary, we were in Latin America and we were in Medellin, Colombia. And Al was a seminary professor there too, at the biblical seminary in Medellin. And he loved it. And um, so, and I was there and we were there for a, a term. Well, I got, I had a little baby girl named Katie Beth and she was about a, a, a year old. And then I got pregnant again with Cricket. Well, then that was very happy. But the, and, but, and then my brother got married. And so somebody paid for me, Al and I, to fly home to America. 
for my brother's wedding, for which I was very grateful. So we flew home for Denny's wedding. Well, when we flew home, um, I got sick with dysentery, and it was quite complicated because I was pregnant. So the, they, I had to stay in America. Al flew back, and so while they were getting me better. Well, while I was sick, I had a little quandary in my soul. Because while I was there, I actually went to a service at church in Wilmore, and it was packed to the gills, and the preacher was preaching, was a guest preacher. And I said, but as I listened, I thought, I thought, I'm not going to listen anymore. What is it costing that guest preacher to follow Jesus? It's costing me everything. I was homesick, I was pregnant, I was sick, I wasn't fluent in Spanish, all the new experiences overwhelmed me, I was immature, I was a pitiful missionary. <laughs> and I said, God, I don't think this is what I expected when I said, yes, Lord, and yes, I will give you all of me for all of you. And there was a quandary in my soul. So I waited a month while I was getting well. And the battle in my soul raged. Would I follow Jesus or would I not? When it was painful and hard and not what I expected. And I was, I mean, so I went, so I got ready to go back. And I actually flew to Miami Airport. But then I thought, no, I'm not going. But I made the providential mistake. Have you ever made that? Because the loving father is pro -novus. And you could see the way my heart was going. Remember last week we talked about the seducer in the basket. He comes with lies and seduction. It looks so nice in America. I wanted to have a baby and have my mama there. I wanted to be with family. I didn't want to go someplace else. It was just too hard. So I called my mother and I said, Mom, I can't go back. It is too hard. I'm going to call Al and tell him I love him so much, but I'm going to stay here and he can come back when he finishes the term, but I can't go back. And quick as net flash, she said, Bethy, you can't disobey Jesus. And I said, Mama, I don't think you understand. If I go back down there, I will just die. Quick as a flash, she shot back. Then go and die. But don't disobey Jesus. Whatever he says, say yes. Like Sam Camelates in the Indian. Hands up, palms down. So nothing sticks. Thy will, Jesus. Thy will. Thy will. And then she said, Bethy, I think your daddy is in Florida. He was president of Asbury at the time. And honey, he'll have on a brown suit. And I think he's coming from Tampa. I said, mother, I will recognize him. But then I looked up and I was across from the Tampa exit gate. The sweetness of God to a floundering woman. Five minutes, Papa got off the plane. And I poured out my heart with tears. He picked up Katie Plus and put her in the stroller, pushed her my gate, and he said, honey, the way I love you and the way you love me and the way we love each other, the only way is because Jesus has come and filled our hearts. He said, I can't guarantee, 
then any of your circumstances will be easy or anything will be less hard. But I cannot guarantee as you go forward weeping, Psalm 126, go forward weeping, just go forward. Jesus will bring your sheaves with you, but more important even than sheaves, you will begin to experience the living presence of the resurrected Jesus. And there is nothing in all the world like Jesus. So sobbing, I got on the plane. Sobbing, I sat in my seat, buckled in my baby. And there was one seat on the other side. And guess who came? Jesus. He's never come before or since in quite the same visitation of his holy presence. But the reality of my life is I never needed him quite like I did that day. And I went back in obedience and in love, weeping. And he went with me. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31.8. I went back. It was very hard. I was still pregnant. I still had dysentery. I still couldn't speak the language. I still was just surviving, but I was obeying. And Jesus saw my heart. Jesus will see your heart. And I wouldn't be here today on a Zoom Bible study if I had turned away. Now, he reiterates that in this next chapter. The word of the Lord comes again. And if you have anything in your heart or mind, just share it with Jesus. Let the word of the Lord come to you. Say, Jesus, I feel all upset or anxiety or anxious or angry or whatever it is. Could you give me words? And then could you help me know how to walk in the light of who you are and how you've made me to respond? And are there any wounded places, even from my childhood, that you want to go and heal and pour the oil of gladness over those wounded places so that Jesus, the joy of Jesus, can come to my heart? Isaiah 61 and Psalm 45. That's what Jesus can do. So the word of the Lord comes again. And it comes and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Because whether we believe it or not, God is the Lord of hosts. He is in charge. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And this is God's love note to you, just like it was to me, a little homesick missionary. I'm zealous for you. He says, I'm zealous for you, Zion, but we can put our name in there. I'm zealous for you, Beth. I'm zealous for you, Sandra. I'm zealous for you, Karen. I'm zealous for you, Zion, with a great zealousness. With great fervor, I am zealous for you. What does this mean? I'm pronobus, I'm for you. I know how you work, Psalm 139. I know how you tick. I personally handcrafted you and made you. And there's no one else on the globe just like you. You are uniquely mine. And I made you for myself. I made you for others. I, I made you and I love you. I love you. And then he says, he not only promises that he's pro nobis and he's for us, but then in verse three, promises his personal presence, just what I experienced and do still experience. He says, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. If you will not turn away from me, this next generation, but turn to me. I will return to you and I will dwell in the midst of you and you shall be called a city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. When God returns to us, his personal presence, and if we let him and we receive him into ourselves 
and let him come with the, the overflow of his glory, like the, the candelabra, with that continuous infilling and overflowing. He said, then we will become people of truth. And, and then we will become holy people because the one who is holy indwells us and we will begin to experience the beauty of holiness in our lives because of the a sparkle and overflow of the living presence of the Holy One alive and well in you and me because we love him and we walk with him in obedience. And we listen to what he says in his word. I've had a couple of people say, oh, I love Jesus. But I, and I love Jesus, but I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. Oh, I love Jesus, but I just, you know, I just took what I didn't belong to me, but I still love Jesus, you know I do. I mean, you wouldn't believe the litanies that are prefaced with, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I'm sleeping with a married man. I love Jesus, but I, I'm really, you know how they serve alcohol? They have alcohol in the, in the drugstores. Well, I love Jesus, but, but, but Jesus says, if you love me, in 1 John, you will keep my word. And why does he give us commandments? It's like our 18-month-old granddaughter, Noelle, where she goes and puts her finger in an electric socket or in the fire or on the hot stove, we say, no, 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 no. And we sweep her up and say, no, baby, you can't do that because we know it will hurt her. And the love of God gives a blueprint of light. The commandments are a love letter to us because this is how life works. And it's not because he's mean and cruel, but it's because he's saying that will hurt you. Just look at what's happened. 70 years in captivity. And he said, just like we love Noel. And we say, no, 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 baby, don't touch. And sometimes we even slap her little hand. No, 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 don't touch it, will hurt you. And then she knows that's not safe. It's because we love her. It's where Sinai and Calvary meet in the heart of God and in the family relationships. So he says, holiness, when you and I love him, his personal presence will come. And he comes and he fulfills us with truth and holiness. And when you and I go into communities and places and when God comes to cities, they're built on truth and holiness. That's why we're crying out for revival. So our nation will and cities will begin to be built on truth and holiness, not in evil and wickedness. And then he says, another sign of my personal presence is security and protection. And he gives the most beautiful picture of this. Thus says the Lord of hosts in verse four of chapter eight. Thus, when the Lord of hosts come, old men and all women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff. And because of great age, and the streets will be full of the boys and girls playing in the streets. When God comes, it's safe for elderly people such as myself to sit outside. When God comes, it's safe for children to play in the streets. When God comes, God protects the oldest and the youngest, the weakest and most vulnerable. When God comes, there's security and protection because God is permanent. And do you know, I've actually seen the cutest picture of this lived out at Indian Springs in front of our 100-year-old cabin we have a sandbox and we have a jungle gym. And then there's a road, a blacktop road that goes right next to it. And there's other cabins just all around. Well, in the summer, hot summer days during camp meeting, that, that sandbox will be full of children 
They, the jungle gym will be full of children. The, the plot top will be full of kids, older kids, college kids, high, high school kids playing Foursquare. Dozens of them. So what I have the happy privilege, I don't usually sit and I watch, but I, I get trays and serve lemonade and cool and um, and popsicles and cookies and iced tea. And then the, the parents and the grandparents sit around watching and checking on all the kids and their scholarship and and unity. Trinity, unity and Calvary love where at a holiness campground because Jesus is there and it's intergenerational and there's true community because God's come. Do you know pure community? The only way you and I can know it is if we're all his and then we begin to know how to relate and love so we don't use and abuse other people to meet my needs but we begin to say, Jesus, would you take care of me? And then you're free and I'm free to take care of other people through when Jesus just says, take so-and-so a meal or call so-and-so or text so-and-so or send so-and-so $50. And God begins to give us hard eyes to see the needs of others. Are you living in the joy of that? Are you living in the joy of his personal presence? are living in the joy of the security Jesus gives and the protection. And then the people of God, as Zechariah explains it to this next generation, in verse six, it says, it's marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people, but is it marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? And do you know what? I had trouble understanding that verse. Do you know what it means? It says, this is too amazing to believe that this is possible. And God says, no, it's not. Just return to me and I will return to you. It's all the overflow of his presence. Then he says, I will save my people. And I will save not only the ones right here, but I will save them from the land of the east. I will save them from the land of the west. I will save them and I will come and I will bring them back because God's got the whole world on his heart. I will bring them back and they will be my people and I will be. There, God. I want to know, are there any places in your life that you said, oh, I'm not quite sure. And God said, would you trust me? Would you trust me? And would you go forward and walk in holy obedience with a loving Father? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Then says the Holy Spirit, once you and I get right with him, so our hearts are squeaky clean. Then he says, I got a job for you to do. And he's got one for every single one of us. That's the fun of it. And every single one of us has different gifts and graces. That's the glory of it. And he says, let your hands be strong. You have been hearing in these days the words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the when your, the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord. But they had laid the foundation for the house of the Lord 16 years earlier. Then they got, it was too hard. They got discouraged. They didn't have enough money. And what did they do? They quit. They quit. They just quit. And God's, and just began to live like everybody else. And that if you read Haggai, they put their interests first ahead of God's. They had paneled houses and God didn't have anything but the foundational slab. And God says, wait a minute, get right with me, turn back to me. And he said, for, and for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. 
for before these days, when you weren't walking with me, the last 16 years, you haven't had enough money. The last 16 years, you haven't had any peace from the enemy going, going in or going out. There was opposition on every side for the last 16 years. They've had, everyone has been fighting against their neighbor. There was disunity and discord. Does that now sound exactly like our nation tonight? Inflation, an economic downturn. We've turned away from God. Doesn't that sound like there's no peace or security? If you're riding the subway, if you're in the car, there's no peace and security. Doesn't it, it, there's discord and violence and disagreement that's so strong, it separates lives and families and marriages. And God says that happens when you and I go our own way and we don't walk in loving obedience to a loving father who is for us. For this, but then he said, I will not treat the remnant if you will return to me, which I have good news in Haggai, they did. If you will return to me, the seed shall be prosperous. The vine will give its fruit. The ground will give her increase. The heavens will give their due. I will cause the remnant of the people to possess all this. And it shall come to pass, just as you were a curse among the nations, I will make, a, make you a blessing. God will begin to work if you and I will begin to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And then Jesus, would you come and provide? And if this is your will, would you please provide? And God will begin to do it. So the temple of God could be built. And when your fathers provoked me to wrath, said the Lord, so again in these days, I am determined to do good to you. Don't fear. These are the things you shall do. Seek truth. Give righteous judgment, truth, justice, and peace give at your gates. So we're once again, that big scroll, we're to be people of truth, we're to give righteous judgment, and truth, justice, and peace will be the characteristics of your life, my life, and our homes as Jesus comes. And as we pray for God to move in a nation. Then the word of the Lord came. You said fast on the fourth month. That's when Nebuchadnezzar began the siege. Fast on the fifth month. That's when he burned the temple. Fast on the seventh month. That was the death of the insurrectionist, Gadaliah. Fast on the 10th month. That's when the destruction of Jerusalem was total. But he said in fasting, instead of fasting, your own fast that you put on yourself, your own self-righteous acts, could you get right with me so that you could be filled with joy, gladness, cheerful feasts, and the, for the house of Judah that love truth and peace. And do you know what? When you and I begin to live like that, do you know what happens? Just what it says here. There's an irresistibility to Jesus. <laughs> because people begin to say, wow, what's going on in her life? or their life, or their home, or their church. And the last part of the chapter says, people begin to come to you and me, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city will go to another. Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. Other people will begin to say it. Because do you know what has happened? Your walk and your talk, and my walk, and my talk, actually are one. And there's no hypocrisy. And it's such a shock that people go, wow. And there's an opportunity for Jesus to come. And they attach themselves to the people, they literally grasp their hands 
and say, I have heard that God is with you. Oh, ladies, is that the testimony of your heart and mind tonight? Is that your testimony and mine? I remember it was so sweet. I retired and we had a neighbor, precious couple. And then the, John retired. And, um, and so John watched out and he knew they lived next door to us. They could see everything about our lives. You know how it is. Well, one day I was out in the backyard sitting at the table reading, picnic table, and John comes over. And he says, hey, I want to ask you a question, kind of man to man. He said, well, what is it, John? He said, could you tell me how do you have strength and grace to be retired? And I was taken back. And then he just said, you know what it is? It's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He said, well, I've been watching you all. And he said, I thought maybe you might have some help for me. So I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus in our backyard. And do you know, it wasn't, it was a few months later, John was battling for his life. But do you know what? He went to heaven. I was there. And he went straight from his bed to Jesus. And it was a conversation in the backyard. And God came. Do you know how God wants to come in a Holy Ghost God level revival? He wants to come in your life and my life, in the ordinary, in the everyday, in the sandboxes, in the jungle gyms, in the cup of tea. That's where God comes. And the world is longing to see those of us who are squeaky clean and that can tell them, John, let me tell you, God's pronobus and he's for you. And he has a way for you even in retirement. He's trustworthy. He's meeting me. I know he can meet you. Do you know I'm like that tonight? Do you know this is the week, February 3rd, of the Asbury Revival? And God came. God came. And it came because of prayer. And some of you on this call were in that prayer meeting. It was never more than six. And then they prayed. And then they began to challenge others. And as they challenged others, they prayed a whole night of prayer. And then they felt like Jesus had heard. And then it was before they had an all night of prayer before Christmas in 2002. Came to Janine Braver and said, Janine, the next day chapel was ordinary. Janine said, it's not for us to know the times or seasons that the Father has appointed. He will come because we are asking him to come. And on February 3rd, in an ordinary chapel, God came. And there was a week of the presence of God in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College that you just had to walk on the grounds. You didn't even have to walk on the grounds. You knew God was there as you just drove into the town. And do you know something? When God comes, people began to come from Canada, from Wyoming, from Nebraska, from Indiana, from Illinois. 
And then they begin to call and say, please, could you come to my church? Could you come to my school? We have heard that God is with you. Could you please come so we could meet Jesus too? Oh, tonight, Jesus is longing for the, us to come to the place where the glory of his presence is alive and well in you and me. Is that your reality tonight? Or do you have settled for the symbol instead of the glory of the living presence of the resurrected Jesus alive and well in you and me? Oh, come Holy Spirit tonight. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, would you come tonight? And would you speak to everyone of our hearts? And the word of the Lord came and put our name in it. And this is what I long for you to do. But let me help you in that wounded place, that place of need, that place of brokenness. And then as we listen, because our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open. And the spirit of God, Ezekiel 36 says, can come and make our hearts that are hard as stone can make them as soft as flesh. Tonight, let it be a victory night in every one of our hearts so that as we go forward, people see the presence of Jesus and there's a witness person to person that God loves them and God is for them too. Thank you. You came for the whole wide world. And Jesus, thank you. You came for me. In Jesus' name, amen.